CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. I am Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley. We're going to go talk about some crypto news and you're going to like it. We're going to start with Will. What's going on? Well, I don't know if you'll like this story, but yeah, it's okay. Good intro still. Kathy Wood is uh, talking about Bitcoin right now and saying that the U.S. is not super friendly, even in the wake of FCX and responses to it. She's saying that Bitcoin performed well uh, against the backdrop of the uh, banking crisis, but Bitcoin itself is not being uh, warmly recepted by a lot of regulators. Also have a little Elon Musk tagline in here, a little wombo combo this morning for uh, your meme coin investors. Elon saying, don't put all your money, don't put the farm on Dogecoin. You know, just be a responsible investor. Why are people talking about all of crypto again? Well, I think it really just comes down to like the banking crisis we saw in the first few weeks of this year. And now Bitcoin is back on the rise. People are interested again. So we're getting some nice taglines from Kathy Wood and Elon Musk this morning. Jay, I'm going to throw the story over to you, get your thoughts on it. Wombo combo. Well, you know, I've been saying for the past two weeks that Bitcoin is having its day in the sunshine. And now we hear Kathy Wood saying that the U.S. is not that friendly and Bitcoin is suffering because of it. I, I wonder, and maybe will you can give me some clarity, are we confusing Bitcoin with centralized exchanges? When I read this headline, I immediately thought, you know, about all of the crypto leaders who are saying we want to take our operations offshore. We're going to set up offshore Coinbase recently got a license to set up in, in Bermuda. We saw Ripple recently acquire a Swiss crypto custody firm. And, and so I think, yes, the industry is looking away from the US, but I think that American citizens are, are still interested in Bitcoin, despite that chart that we see there. I know that Bitcoin's been doing nothing, but um, there was some data that came out this morning that said people are still holding on to their Bitcoin and some of the numbers are really staggering, despite what we see here that sad, sad Bitcoin chart. So I think that Bitcoin is doing okay. I think centralized exchanges are not doing so well. And the last thing I will add to this ramble that I am in the middle of right now is this morning on First Mover, we interviewed a co-CEO at Prometheus Capital, which has an SEC approved custody firm. And this co-CEO was saying, you know, there are ways to work with 
US regulators, despite what we're seeing in the news, and they are an example of one that did so. So I wonder if very quietly, there are some firms that are working well with the SEC, despite what we're seeing. Zach? Yeah, I mean, this is no, this is no news, right? This is not breaking news that the US is sort of losing its lead as it relates to the crypto industry, right? You're seeing people very much head offshore to do stuff. And you're seeing firms that were in the US build products elsewhere, perhaps most notably, again, that Coinbase move to Bermuda with the derivatives exchange. Uh, I like the sentiment in the Kathy Wood piece, right? I like that she mentions the 0809 financial crisis and Bitcoin being rooted in that, right? Bitcoin is a decentralized, transparent monetary system. And a lot of people seek that out in times of financial crisis. And we saw that absolutely during the banking crisis. So sort of the reason for being of Bitcoin is rooted in that crisis that I think we, we often lose sight of. We often forget some newer entrants to the space maybe aren't as conversant in that financial crisis and what that meant to the world at that time and why Bitcoin is a direct response to that crisis. So I think from a big picture, I like that Kathy Wood is framing it in those terms as opposed to some of the other narratives that we're seeing play out, especially in the Bitcoin ecosystem right now. But again, that big picture, not losing sight of that big picture, I think is really key especially for a figurehead like Kathy Wood to get out there and say such, such things. Uh, Will, I saw your hand. Yeah, I mean, sticking with the whole narrative here and talking heads and big picture investors, Elon Musk talking about Dogecoin, talking about cryptocurrency, saying like, again, don't bet the farm on this uh, Wall Street Journal event recently. And the reason for it, obviously, is because Dogecoin goes up and down and he, he does pump it quite a bit. I think it's more of a joke to him or who knows what he actually thinks about Dogecoin. But I think the larger point that we can pull out of this is like, People in mainstream investing, big figureheads like Elon Musk, Kathy Wood, they think this is a really important movement and they want people who are in their following to invest in cryptocurrency. But they also see like the issues with it, right? The volatility and the prices. They see the issues with the regulatory side. So there's always going to be that conversation. And I think the backdrop of what Kathy is saying here with like the regulatory pushback, it's make, it makes sense. We've seen this time and time again. Just like you said, Zach, this is not breaking news. But it is just sort of like a pain point right now with what's happening with Coinbase, what's happening with some other regulators out there, like squashing down on separate teams. Jen, I'll give it to you for last word. Yeah, Elon also, he said, don't bet the farm on Doge and other cryptos. I think you're right. This is indicative of what's happening in the US. But Elon never really said, you know, go out there and put all of your money into crypto. I think sometimes his playfulness with Doge and Shiba uh, it sometimes gets convoluted with you know him telling people to go out there and put all of their money in crypto. And so it was nice to see that he clarified this for people who may watch Elon and, and may want to do what all those Doge people were doing about a year ago, you know, putting all their, their money into these meme coins. Zach? It is, like, it is funny to talk about you know, Bitcoin, kind of the gold standard of the crypto world and, and Dogecoin, which is perhaps like the gold standard of the meme coin world, to be fair. But they are very <laughs> opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of self-seriousness with which we talk about these things. You know, Dogecoin, to its credit, has been resilient and, you know, is probably more decentralized than a lot of the newer crypto projects out there. So it is funny to kind of have these two figureheads talking about these dueling, the dueling ends of the crypto spectrum, especially in a moment of regulatory uncertainty and angst in the U.S. Anyway, let's change gears. Jen, you got the next story. Yeah. So according to a new report from security <laughs> firm TRM Labs, crypto hacks are down 70%. So this is, if we take the data from Q1 of this year and compare it to Q1 of last year, there are 70% less hacks happening in the space. Zach, I'm throwing it right back to you. 
What do you think this is because of? Is it just generally quieter because we are in the throes of a bear? I don't know. Is this just like prices are down bad and that is also part of why these are smaller numbers? I'm sure that the data has been sort of standardized. And so I'm not not suggesting that uh, TRM in this instance did some bad data analysis. But yeah, things are certainly quieter. I think there's also less rubes out there that can be uh, taken advantage of, right? Sort of in these moments of euphoria when a lot of newcomers enter the space, perhaps with bad operational security practices, uh, there are more opportunities for people to get uh, exploited. And maybe perhaps we're seeing just a different sort of vibe shift, a different set of users who are in the space. Uh, That's not to say that we're not also seeing headlines pretty much weekly about various DeFi protocols that are either rugging or being exploited or what have you. So, you know, the tornado cash thing comes to mind, right? We're still seeing these pretty high profile cases where things are going wrong with these smart contracts. And oftentimes people are losing pretty large sums of money because of it. So I don't think that this is necessarily a, yay, hurrah, like crypto hacks are, 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 not, are going away kind of story. Because we, we still very much are seeing, you know, again, some of the bugs in this code. I don't know. Will? Yeah, I think you're right there. I think there's a few things on this. One, token prices are down. So hopefully they did standardize like the prices across time and didn't just use like raw market caps at the time of a hack. Though if you are a hacker, you could liquidate to US dollars at that time. So there is sort of like discrepancy there on how you would do this. The other thing to point out is like there's not a lot of projects launching right now. There's a lot of things in stealth, quiet. They're waiting for the next bull market to launch their token or launch a project, even if it doesn't have a token. Why? Because it doesn't make sense to launch stuff in the bear market often. You want to do what's hot and when people are interested in the topic. And so there's going to be less exploits because most things that do get exploited are things that are new as opposed to old. Older things also get exploited here and there, but they're more battle tested. So it doesn't occur quite as often. But we can also pull from the article itself, uh, TRM Lab setting a statement that unfortunately the slowdown is most likely a temporary reprieve rather than a long-term trend. Uh, basically just saying that, you know, maybe we're just lucky over Q1 and there's going to be more to come. Both in 2021 and 2022, there was, I believe, around $3 billion per year in stolen crypto. So those are pretty big numbers. And again, that was during the bull market and the tail end of a bull market going to bear market. That's probably why we saw most of that theft occurring. So like go back and think of all the bored apes where people are just leaking their seed phrases or some like the wormhole exploits out there. Big stuff. And that's because it was all brand new. People didn't know how to use this stuff. Over time, this stuff starts to gradually go away. But when the bull market comes back, I'm sure this number will certainly pick up. Jen? Yeah, the article mentioned two huge attacks last year. One you mentioned just now, Will, the wormhole one, that was $325 million. And then, of course, Axie Infinity's Ronin Bridge. That at the time, and I think still is the biggest DeFi hack, $625 million. Zach, you can fact check me on that. I hope that this, this report, though, shows that maybe the developers are learning from these massive hacks and and putting some more security features in, doing more audits, just being a little bit more careful before releasing these really, really new products. If Wendy was here, she would say, we are in beta. We're in a beta of a beta of a beta, still such early days. So I think we still definitely will see more attacks. But hopefully this this tells us that the builders are being a little bit more careful at launch. Zach? Uh, Yeah, I mean, also, I think maybe Adam Levine says this, right? Like DeFi TVL is just one big bug bounty, right? And you have this uh, dynamic where the more money is locked into these protocols, the more attractive it is for hackers, be they North Korean, you know, Lazarus group people or, or other to go and do the hard work of cracking this code and, and uh, exploiting these funds, right? So again, as DeFi sort of feels a bit more quiet, at least lately, 
maybe that has something to do with it. And should DeFi start to pick back up again, or should some of these bridging solutions start to find meaningful usage again? Obviously, the incentive to uh, break them apart and you know hit the pinata and run with the money is going to be uh, be increased as well. So yeah, attackers are going to be out there. People are highly incentivized to go out and figure out ways to break these systems because there is so much money involved. And I don't think that that's going to change um, as TRM itself pointed out uh, over the long haul. We'll see what these numbers look like in Q2. Who knows? There could be a giant bridge exploit just around the corner. It's crypto. Crazier things have happened. All right, Will, I'm giving you the last word on this one. Last thought on this, I think the thing to watch is the bridges. Like you said, Zach, like if there's going to be some sort of big heist in 2023, hopefully there isn't, or in the coming years, I think it's going to be around bridging. A lot of money is starting to flow towards these bridges. A lot of the bridges have launched, but the bridging point itself is still pretty insecure. It's a lot of multi-stake wallets. So you just have to compromise a few keys and then you're able to drain a lot of the money. And until we see some sort of like decentralized option for bridging from an L1 to an L2 or back down to an L1, then we're going to see heists. That's my take. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. Okay, let's go to Ethereum land, which actually has its own place at this point in Montenegro. Zuzalu is a crypto winter camp for the Ethereum community. Vitalik Buterin and a few other Ethereum developers and invitees went to Montenegro and spent the last two months together talking about crypto, sharding, and all the other fun stuff in crypto tech land. There was a bunch of ice baths, there was a bunch of communal feasts, and there was some fun Vitalik spotting with some amazing costumes on stage. It's a pretty fun time. I think this was a good summary. You should go read the report on coindesk.com talking about it. This is sort of like the culmination of Ethereum culture, right? Bitcoiners have Bitcoin Miami, they have El Salvador, they have their beefsteak events. The Ethereum community has their invite-only events in Montenegro where you can go hang out with Vitalik and eat large chickens with him, uh, as described in this report. Zach, I want to get your thoughts on this. It was kind of a fun thing to look inside how the Ethereum tech community views community. Crypto is a lifestyle. It's a real lifestyle. It's a globe-trotting lifestyle. And this is its most pure encapsulation. Like this, this is like, you know, you have Vitalik, you have, you know, the crown prince of Ethereum wandering the streets of Montenegro uh, among his people who are there to just celebrate all that Ethereum has become and all of its, you know, sort of strange, wacky cultural touchstones. So it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that this has come to pass. I guess my main question is like, why is Montenegro like all of a sudden, like big on the scene, right? Like you had Do Kwan like get arrested in Montenegro. Obviously this is not related, but like suddenly Montenegro is like uh, emerging on the crypto map. So that to me is the one point of curiosity, but there's plenty of sort of other mysterious tidbits in this piece by Margot which I think is great. Go check it out for sure. Like it's unclear who's doing the invites. It's unclear how one gets on the list. Um, so it is this sort of highly curated, highly selective crew of people who are living the Ethereum dream. And again, sharing ideas 
and sharing experiences together in what looks to be a, a rather lovely place. So yeah, Zuzulu looks good. Jen, you going? You on the list? Did you get I want to go. I'm not on the list. Didn't make uh, it. I had complete FOMO reading this story. And it just sounds wonderful, Zach. I think you did such a good job at, at explaining it. For me, when I read this, it's like, I think about these online communities that we talk about so much, right? People getting together on Discord and it's absolutely manic and crazy, but they're there and they're building and they're innovating and they're driving the space forward at a speed that is insane. And so I think it's refreshing to see that this is happening IRL, right? That the community can expand away from this this like really online world that we've built and that they can continue innovating in this really fun and awesome way. I think it will accelerate the space even faster at a really small scale. I think any of us who have like worked remote or worked with um, decentralized teams when we get together, we've seen the speed at which we can develop when we're together. And so I think this is awesome. I think we're going to see more of it. And I hope that one day the whole hash team can be invited. Maybe we can do our shows right from there we can show the people the vibes live will oh, we'll do like the ice bath plunges together we should do there that go. Uh, yeah, a lot of fun there no i had a few thoughts on this one i, I knew a few people who went to this and I, I think you really have to be a specific type of person in crypto to go to this like you have to really be okay with camping out with Vitalik talking about like multi-party computation for two months and that's a very specific type of person who would enjoy that I, for one, would be done in about 48 hours and would need to go do something else. So I think the people who are there are really in it for the tech. They really enjoy this sort of stuff. And they are the ones who are kind of like on the bleeding edge or a little bit out there, just like focusing on topics that most of us are not thinking of day to day. And that's certainly Vitalik and certainly his history, right? He, like, he has an interest in things that has pushed the boundaries of what tech can do and for good reason. Uh, I think this is a pretty awesome event that they're doing it. Second point I want to bring up is like the invite only thing. So the article did make a mention a few times about how it was difficult to ascertain who created the event, how the invites were divvied out, or how one even gets an invite in the first place to something like this in the future. That didn't stop there being a diversity of participants from all over the globe attending the event. But I think it did leave some people a little upset that they did not get an invite. And only like 200, 300 people actually attended the thing itself. When it comes down to it, though, there's sort of like a question of decentralization, right? So like, if it's an invite only for an Ethereum event, is that really decentralized? Or do you need to have an invite only so that there's not like a bunch of people showing up wasting your time, right? It's sort of like how a blockchain needs to be decentralized, but also needs to have fees in order to stop spamming on the network. There's a little bit of give and take there. Kind of, kind of something to think about there. Zach, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, it's like permissioned versus permissionless. But mm -hmm. like in the event world, obviously, like you want a curated group of folks, like you That's want high it. quality folks. You just can't be willy nilly, just open to whatever. I Pay mean, your fee. What's yeah. that about? Yeah, I don't know. But that'd be interesting. Like what the what the fee is? Like what the what the gas? What like what's the gas fee for like showing up? <laughs> anyway, Jen, I thought I saw your hand. I was just gonna say uh, to Will's point, I was turned off by the camping, but then. Upon further reading, I saw that they're staying in five-star hotels, so that's fun. And Will, you know people who went there, so please tell us, like, how did they get the invite? Did, did it come via Twitter DM? Like, what was going on? Do you have any intel for us? Yeah, the, two of the people were Ethereum core developers, so I think if oh. you're a core developer, you get in. And then another person I was like a venture capitalist, so it's, I think, you know, you have to be investing in the protocols, or you have to be building a protocol to go. And if you're like a friend of a friend, you could probably get in. So like 200 people actually attended for the whole two months and then about 300 people visited over the time. 
So I bet it was like just a lot of like the European Ethereum slash DeFi community visit this place. And it was probably like fairly open event, but I don't know. Hard yeah. to know. I mean, it looks very cool. I, I talked to someone who was there as well, and it did sound pretty cool. We'll have to do Coindesk Galoo. We'll have to do a cheap knockoff consensus Galoo at one point. Two months. Two months in Texas. All right, let's change gears. Let's go talk about drugs, the bad kind of drugs. Fentanyl, deadly fentanyl, killing people left and right, especially in the U.S. There's been a pair of new reports from Chainalysis and Elliptic looking at just how involved cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Tether or USDT are in the fentanyl drug trade, specifically from China. This is a pretty alarming headline. I would imagine that this may be maybe brought up in a congressional hearing, maybe one day, right? Crypto and fentanyl from China. Like those are, there's, a, there's a lot of words on that bingo card that if you're a proponent of the industry, you don't want to see those things linked together. So this may become a talking point, I think, in what has long plagued Bitcoin's image, right? It's the uh, it's the choice. It's the currency of choice for drug dealers and other assorted ne'er do wells. So, anyway, this is a pair of reports. We can dig into them a little bit. I will toss it to Jen for her thoughts on some new data on crypto's role in the fentanyl trade. Zach, my thoughts were exactly yours when I read this story. Now we have fentanyl to look forward to hearing in congressional hearings amongst, you know, North Korea and China and money laundering. And now we have fentanyl. And I'm sure we're going to hear that in the next one. You know, the, at the very end of the story, it notes fentanyl overdoses are the leading cause of death for those aged 18 to 45 in the U.S. And so I think it makes sense that analytics for firms and law enforcement are looking into every aspect and angle of this. I think the, the crypto headline here is one that doesn't do the industry any service. And so it's important to remind people that, yes, people are using crypto as a form of payment to get their hands on uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, it's substances like this is legal in China, what people are buying, right? I think there's something about like the precursors for these, for the right. production of like street right. style fentanyl. So there, there is some uh, degree of specificity around this language, yeah. Right. So, so, you know, like the drug trade has been a long, long, has been around long before crypto. And I think it's important to mention that. And should crypto be banned and crypto go away? I don't think that this is going away. I think there are other ways to to pay for things like this, including fiat currency. And so I hope that this headline isn't isn't um, misleading and isn't taken out of context. And we don't see more mainstream media organizations and politicians saying that crypto is fueling fentanyl, which is then killing Americans, because I think that that is not what we should take away from this. Will? Yeah, a few points here. One is that we might have like crypto's own version of Breaking Bad on our hands. So if anyone wants to get like the screen rights going with me, I would be down to talk about it. Second is this will definitely end up in Congress in like the next few weeks to months. There's definitely going to be conversation about how Tether specifically and Bitcoin more largely are facilitating the trade of fentanyl. But I think, Jen, you have the best point here, which is that money is the medium for trading fentanyl, right? Anyone who's making fentanyl or any sort of drug, any sort of illicit activity, they're going to need money at some point. Crypto is just better money. It's easier to move it around. It's really fast. It's very secure. You just need two parties. You don't need intermediary. So of course, drug traders and other illicit activities are going to move towards that first. And that sort of makes sense, right? People who are like within this game, they need better money. And so they're going to gravitate towards it. Now for like Bitcoin and Tether, it's interesting that those things are used more than say a privacy coin like Zcash or Monero, because there are cryptocurrencies built specifically with the purpose of uh, adding some privacy 
to the trading, right? So like Zcash is not built for fentanyl by any means, but it is built for privacy. And so you might expect that someone who's trading drugs or doing some illicit activity would be using a privacy coin like Zcash or like Monero. It's hard to say, honestly, because it's hard to know like what's going on in those, those uh, coins. But we do know that they have less liquidity than Bitcoin or Tether. And so a lot of times people gravitate towards something with more liquidity, Bitcoin or Tether. Tether is a stable coin, really easy to get your hands on it, especially overseas. Bitcoin, you can trade large sums for it. It's not really going to impact the price. You can also cash out basically anywhere because of Bitcoin ATMs and most people accept Bitcoin at this point. So that's why you see people move towards it. Zach, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, so we're talking about you know 27 million in one estimate, 37 million in another uh, since 2018, I believe. So this is you know not a huge sum of money, and I think probably the only positive sort of next level spin that someone who is a crypto true believer could put on this is that you can trace these flows, right? These are public blockchains on which you can trace the flows of illicit payments, right? And arguably that is uh, a feature, not a bug, of some of these open ledgers, right? The fact that you can uh, document, chronicle, quantify how this is happening and potentially use it to do enforcement action on some of the more uh, nefarious players involved. You know, I think that is a selling point for Bitcoin, for these open blockchain networks and a selling point for why they should continue to exist both in the US and beyond, right? And so I think, um, again, you have Chainalysis, you have Elliptic, you have TRM Labs. They're doing the important work of uh, stitching these pieces together and figuring out what's going on and quantifying a problem that would otherwise be difficult to quantify in the world of, you know, cash in a bag somewhere. So that I think is probably the only thing that will come out of this that, that is positive, but is certainly um, a harder sell uh, beyond the headline itself, especially in the context of establishing legislation, especially in the US, especially in 2023. So we'll see if that nuanced level of conversation takes place, but I'm not, not hopeful, not hopeful about it. You guys, you guys hopeful? No, 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 not a sorry, no. sad. Okay. All right. Well, that's it for the show today. We'll end on that sad down note. It happens sometimes. That's it. Fentanyl, it's bad. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey. We got Will Foxley. We're the hash. You're watching us on Coindesk TV. Thank you so much. Thanks also for checking us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network. A lot of great stuff there. Good stuff to listen to, as always. All right. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 